0: I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota, and Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link and I'm here to share with you and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link, greetings from the home of the Seven Council Fires. Land of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values. Courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few. Well, hi, Craig. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is Dr. Craig Howe, and he's been a longtime friend of mine. Do you remember when we first met?
1: I believe I do. Was that in Chicago?
0: It was. It was in Chicago, and it was in the, I think it was in the middle or late nine, 1990s. And Iris and I, Iris Sully, who went to school with you. And I decide to take a great adventure, and we decide to go to Chicago. And that was the first time I'd ever gone. Yeah, and she knew you. I think you—you you were the only person that she knew there. So that—that that was really something for us.
1: Yeah, Tell, I think t- that was the twenty-fifth anniversary of the Darcy McNichol Center for American Indian for the history of the American Indian it was the 25th anniversary celebration that we'd organized, and I think that was in 1996.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that too, and that was at the Newberry Library?
1: Yep, yeah, the Newberry t- Library in Chicago, yes.
0: Before we get into that, I just, I'm kind of wondering, uh, you you are Okalala Lakota?
1: Yes, I'm a citizen of the Okalala Sioux Tribe.
0: Yes, and did you grow up down there by Martin or? Uh,
1: yes, I did. I grew up, well, we grew up down uh, right along Barron the Lodge Creek, which is uh, north of Martin, about eight or nine miles. And um, yeah, that's where I grew up and went to grade school in Martin, Martin grade school, and then to uh, Bennett County High School in Martin.
0: Oh, okay. I know you've just been all around the country, so to speak. And and uh, how did you end up there in Chicago?
1: Well, so after I left uh, when I was in high school, I actually when I was in grade school, I decided I wanted to be an architect in the 1970s and '80s and until just about eight years ago or less. there was no architecture school in South Dakota, so in order to study architecture, I had to leave the state and I went to Lincoln, Nebraska, to the University of Nebraska there. After that, after I earned my uh, bachelor's degree and master's degree in architecture, I came back and worked in, in Pier, South Dakota, for a firm called Eagle 2000. And then uh, over a contentious issue about housing for the Omaha tribe, where I was, I designed a house for them, a prototype house for them that they wanted... But it looked very different than any reservation-type housing. Uh, The HUD, uh, the Housing and Urban Development, uh, did not permit it, would not fund it. Even though it was Omaha Tribe's money, for Omaha Tribe citizens, HUD would not permit it to be built. And that upset me, and so I decided I wanted to go on and get more letters after my name, that Ph.D. And so I went to the University of Michigan... And uh, that's where I earned my PhD in um, in architecture and anthropology. And that's from there is when I went uh, when I graduated. Uh, you know, I was looking for a job in here, kind of a fluke, and I uh, of an interview. Anyway, I, uh, I ended up being hired at the Newberry Library as the director of the uh, the McNichol Center, the Darcy McNichol Center for the History of the American Indian.
0: Oh, okay. And at that time, I had no idea, you know, that that you were new to that system. But I I yeah. know how welcoming you were to, to Iris and myself. And when we finally reached your place, it was just like, oh, finally, you know, we've come to right. come to a friend and come to, to a home. And, and uh, because I remember going through that traffic in, in Chicago and uh boy that that' so different <laughs> than what anything I was used to so i I also remember being able to go up into the archives and look at the ledger paintings and pictures and and that was uh, very interesting to me plus just getting kind of the whole feel of a big city and I understand they have did at that time have quite a native american groups there that met did, did you ever go into any of those
1: yes the the urban the chicago indian center is is in chicago of course and a lot of the people who had attended the uh, indian center events also came to McNichols center events at the newberry library and so there was a long history of of the two organizations uh, working together, or at least uh, you know members of both uh, going back and forth.
0: Sure, sure. And then when when you did decide to to leave there, it, leave Chicago, you ended up at the Smithsonian. Is that right?
1: Yes, they. It, it wasn't that I decided to leave; it's that they came and. Made an offer I could not refuse.
0: Oh, well, that was good.
1: (laughs) Ended up going there, uh, yes, to the National Museum of the American Indian, which is one of the, I think at that time there were 16 uh, museums that were part of the Smithsonian, and and the National Museum of the American Indian was pretty new. Uh, And so they hired me there predominantly, primarily to design the three exhibits that are in that, uh, the new museum on the mall.
0: Oh, okay, and and I've been there. We, uh, I got got to actually. I've been able to go to Washington D.C. a couple of times. I we we went up to. The, of course, that was you know something to really look forward to, and we got to go right. into that museum. How long did you stay there then?
1: I was there about a year and a half, and that was. Uh, while I was there, we opened the uh, the Cultural Resources Center out in Suitland, Maryland, and that's where the collections are.
0: Oh. Uh, okay.
1: And it was after that, I believe, and I have to double-check my dates, but I think it was, you know, later uh, that the uh, groundbreaking and, of course, the new museum uh, on the mall didn't open until 2005 or 2006 or uh, after I left. I was there... 1999
0: to 2001. Oh, okay. And what what would you say about that? What would you tell our, our listeners that experience? How did you like it?
1: Well, so what I told myself, and the way I approached it was not that it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This was a one-time thing. Thing one time. This museum's only going to build once. Mm-hmm. Some of us just happened to be alive, and be in a position where we could contribute. Mm-hmm. And so I gave everything I had for to that museum for for those year and a half I was there. Everything, and um, and so I don't regret that at all. I, it was an uh, an amazing experience to work for an institution that had basically. Um, and not unlimited budget, but it had a very large budget, you know, as far as doing the work we wanted to do with communities. We were able to think out these exhibits in completely new ways, uh, work with uh, American Indian communities in completely new ways. And um, so it was it was a remarkable opportunity. And, of course, on the other side, uh, you know, it's it's Washington, D.C. Right. We see in that institution as much of the systemic racism as we see in South Dakota today. It's, it's the same. There's just very few American Indians in leadership positions in the museum at that time, uh, on the curatorial side and on the, um, uh, design, the exhibit design side. And that's just systemic. Right, and it's not just local here. Uh, so uh, that we, I experienced that. We all of us experienced that there in, in DC as well.
0: Well, when uh, the second trip I went to Washington D.C., I was invited to the White House, and um, that that of course was you know a once in a lifetime experience. Wow. And yeah, and and I really enjoyed it. And but so we had decided we would stay there in Washington DC a little bit longer and take time because yeah. we knew we probably wouldn't be going back and what I what my perception was when when we would even watch the news I I almost felt like there was a bubble over Washington DC and it was there Washington DC and the rest of the country they it just didn't seem like they were too aware of the of of the rest of the country and and maybe that was just then you know but but anyway, i so how how did you come about with the idea of coming home?
1: Well, the exhibits uh, the they just kept wanting to change uh, they. Others wanted to change these exhibits because they were heavily invested in the the mainstream narrative, and the way we were doing exhibits. There's this different way we were decentering non-Indians being in decision-making positions, and that that was threatening to to powerful people. And so it could see the writing on the wall that uh, you know is just. Really tough, and so decided then to to come home and work here. I I remember my boss at the Newberry Library. He used to say, "You know, the good thing about working here is there's only one person between you and the president of the of the library." And I said. That's right, and that's also the shortcoming. You know, yes. <laughs> there's no way to go around that one person. <laughs> and, and again, at the Newberry Library, I was the deputy assistant director, so I was very high in the hierarchy, but I wasn't high enough. You have to be at the top, and in order, if you're going to push new agendas or new ideas, you just have to be. I think my I came to the uh, conclusion. I, if I'm going to pursue some of these ideas, I, it'll have to be in an organization that that is new and that where I'll be the head of
0: it. And, therefore and, and we you can, implement. can build and start at the bottom. So wanting to start an organization where you kind of built it yourself and you could be in, in control of it. So how, how did you come up with this Karen's Center for American Indian Research and Native Studies? How did you come up with that idea?
1: I guess I wanted to come up with an organization that had some of the structure of the Newberry Library and some of the structure of the Smithsonian and then um, some of my interests. And so the idea was then to develop a research center and I just thought there's a niche for that that's not out there there's very few American Indian research centers that are not at a university as far as being in reservations I just I didn't know of any
0: I I'm so, going to say I I've never heard of any in the reservation like you say that that alone is is something very unique
1: Right. And so what is figured is what we have in reservations are two things that that are not transportable. So no one can you can't do them someplace else. One is the land. You want to see this land. You have to come here. There's no other way. You have to come to the land. Uh, And the second thing are many of the people. And I learned this when we were working at the Newberry Library on research projects on winter counts and at the Smithsonian when we were working on these exhibits, was was that there's these amazing people in reservations that have this, um, (laughs) this remarkable knowledge and experience. And many of them don't want to travel. They don't want to leave and not too many people know about them. And so we have these two great resources And so I wanted to start a research center that would draw on academic and scholarship, but also on the land and on the people that live out here. So that's kind of this model. And it took the Internet in order to make that possible. Without the Internet, that uh, research center really doesn't make sense. It's not feasible. But once you have the Internet, then you can access databases and collections all over the world. Uh, you don't have to travel. It's it's just game changer, this internet thing.
0: Yes, that's right. It It's amazing. Uh, I got a phone call from this young lady. She's a professor in New York City, and she had d- done some research and found out about my great grandfather, Alex Adams. Huh. And I said, how in the world did you get a hold of me? And It was all through the Internet, and that always amazes me.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It really allows us to live out here and and do the same quality of work as used to be confined or limited to those with the resources and the time to travel to these uh, archives like the Newberry Library. And now we can access the census data from... From our homes, we can access uh, museum collections from our homes, and that's that. Just uh, until maybe twenty-five years ago, that was not possible.
0: So, basically, if you was to just write down, you know, your goals of what you want to achieve, what are what are some of the goals?
1: The first and primary one, I guess, is to promote tribal sovereignty in. Every way possible, Uh, because sovereignty is the one thing, and I think the only thing that differentiates American Indian tribes from minority groups, every other minority, ethnic, cultural, racial group. Only tribes sign treaties with the federal government. Only tribes are these political entities with citizens. And that uh, is tenuous. It, it, it is really dangerously uh, under attack, almost always, uh, kind of insidiously. And so to promote that and protect that is what we, all of the endeavors that Karen undertakes is to promote that. And the second part, because we're here in South Dakota, is to attack this racism, uh, against American Indians, discrimination against American Indians in our state, the systemic um, um, uh, non-representation of American Indians in institutions and organizations across our state.
0: I, I think I'm very honored that I was a very, very small part of that as being an artist and that you invited me to be a part of that exhibit and would you like to tell people a little bit about the exhibit I'm talking about?
1: That the Dockaway exhibit?
0: Uh, well, no, actually, I'm thinking when you're talking about Solverty, to me, I'm thinking about the Articles of the of a treaty.
1: Articles of a treaty, exhibit, mm-hmm.
0: yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So, so that exhibit is about the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty, and and we're. Developing these exhibits in these new ways, and this was the fifth in the series uh, Articles of a treaty was the fifth the first one was Lakota emergence the second one was great race The third one was Tapun punch the fourth one was dock Which you were in and then uh, fifth one? was articles of a treaty and um, We're trying to again sovereignty <laughs> Just as I mentioned earlier, the one thing that uh, American Indian tribes have done that no other racial, cultural, ethnic or minority group has done is sign treaties with the United States. Well, so let's learn about this. Uh, Talking to artists, I think all of them said they had not read the treaty uh, closely ever. And I think that's the case for almost all of us. Yes. Uh, we just, we talk about it. We, we think we know some parts about it. Uh, but the facts are we just haven't delved into it and really know it. So this was uh, an effort to create a, an exhibit that would do that. And so we took, there are 17 articles in that treaty. And for each article, we invited two uh, visual artists, uh, to create artworks about that article not about the treaty but about their article and we invited a poet to rec- create a poem about that article and we cre- we invited a musician or a musical group to compose a song about that article and so that's how that that exhibit was structured into these 17 um, articles with four creatives lock and in this case not just Lakotas. It was the first treaty where we had Ocheti shakawin artists involved, because all of the Oyates of the Ocheti shakawin Confederacy signed the treaty. And again, a lot of people did not know this. They think it's a strictly Lakota treaty, but it's an Ocheti shakawin treaty. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. And I know, I remember when um, you sent the information, and I re- uh, remember reading all the par- the articles of the treaty, yeah. and just Taking that in and thinking, what a great idea you had! Because you used the the senses, so to speak, you know the the visual, the hearing, and the reading, you know, and and uh, to educate, and that's so important, you know. That's what's going to keep us going, is people will be educated to. To know what was put down in those treaties and what it means, and why, why we are standing up for that. So, Craig, can you please give me a little more explanation on uh, the Center for American Indians Research and Native Studies, and what your plans are? Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, The mission of the Center for American Indian Research. Native studies is to uh, advance knowledge and understanding of American Indian communities and issues important to them. So the focus of Cairns are American Indian communities and issues important to them. And then we meet that mission through um, two things that are in our mission statement. One are educational resources and uh, the second are innovative projects. And so uh, uh, Karen's has this uh, nonprofit mission that is separate from you know like my personal inclinations of what I personally want to do and so with Karen's it's this very much on this edu- developing these educational resources that then are employed like through uh, cultural awareness trainings or they might be books and pamphlets that deal with American Indian history or, or exhibits that deal with American Indian history. And those also uh, carry over to this idea of innovative projects that are these educational um, art exhibits and also like our traveling seminars that we do. Uh, And we also, for a number of years until last year, was the first year we missed it, was the Lakota Film Festival.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, Can you tell our listeners... Where would be a good resource for them to find out more? I I'm your website and I do know that it is a nonprofit organ, organization. So uh, where would they if they want to know and learn a little more, where would they go?
1: Yes, they could come to our website and uh, the URL for the website is www.nativekarens, N-A-T-I-V-E. C-A-I-R-N-S dot O-R-G and um, on that website it will explain all of these exhibits you can listen to all of the songs that have been composed for the exhibits. Also, for educators, there's over a hundred free um, uh, curriculum that, that are on the uh, uh, website that you're you're welcome to download and use. These were developed by teachers and educators who have attended workshops that Karen's has produced. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of content there on uh, the Karen's website. And that's why we call these educational art exhibits is what we call them, Lakota Educational Art uh, Projects. So we call it the LEAP program. But, uh, yes, all of these exhibits have this educational component as far as the narratives, but then it also has this educational component where, People come and see that uh, you know the this diversity of Lakota or Ojete Shakuween art and poetry and song. You know, there's no one way to be a Lakota or Ojete Shakuween. This diversity is within these. These are nations, and they are as diverse as any other nation.
0: Well, you know, I guess I'm I'm really proud proud of you. And in my Lakota link, you know, what I'm part of what I'm doing is I'm inviting people that I can consider there that they have a value that I would say, you know, so I would say to you that I think your Lakota value is fortitude that you have really hung in there all these years. And have achieved so much through education but now through this organization which is going to it's just going to filter out you know I just think about the wind and and the wind blowing and and (laughs) as an artist I can visually you know think of of that and and how your education and and what you know the various things you know you're you're teaching people you're uh, giving cultural awareness seminars and you know it's just so good and I'm so glad to talk to you and and I certainly hope Craig that um, we can talk again and you know there we can talk a little ways down the road that there will be other things because I know you're always always thinking of other things right. to bring up <laughs> So so your value is fortitude, and, and I thank you so much for joining us today on Dakota well, Link.
1: Thank you for having me. I really
0: appreciate it. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. You know, I, I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did, go to sandyswallowgallery.com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background please subscribe to it or if you have some comments we would love to hear your opinion this is a new adventure for us and I value your opinion this song is written and sung by my good friend Quincy Goodstar Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us.